Take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4, starting verse 6, reading through verse 8. As we talk about finishing well, I believe that's the desire of each and every one of us in this room today to finish well. I think we want to finish well on the tasks that we're doing. We want to finish well with the life we're living. We want to finish well. And I want you to see what the Apostle Paul has to say about this as he writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to, to all who have longed for his appearing. Let's take a look at verse 7 now through the voice translation. I have fought a good fight. I have stayed on course. I have finished the race. And through it all, I have kept believing. Let me read that one more time. I have fought the good fight. I have stayed on course. I have finished the race. And through it all, I have kept believing. You know, with everything that I have read about the Apostle Paul in Scripture, I believe that he was an avid sports fan. Matter of fact, I believe if he was living in Wisconsin today, he would be a sports team supporter of basketball and football, basketball, you know, all the, all the various sports we have, including soccer and the like. Paul would probably be a proud owner of a Giannis uh, jersey, a Yelich bobblehead. I think he would have just a lot of sports memorabilia. I'm quite sure his eyes would be glued on the television during the Summer and Winter Olympics. You see, at the time that Paul wrote this second letter to Timothy, he was nearing the end of his natural life here on this earth. And using Olympic type of terminology, he declares, I have fought the good fight. I have been in the contest of life. I've gone up against the struggles of life. I have fought. I've given it my best. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. Other translations read, I have finished the race that was set before me. I have kept the faith. I've kept the rules. I've not given in, and I've not given up. Friends, that inspires me this morning when I read that from the Apostle Paul. What a wonderful way to come to the end of one's life to be able to say, I am finishing my race and I'm finishing it well. I finished it with no regrets. Now church, that's my prayer for each and every one of you gathered here this morning. That at the end of your life's journey that you too might be able to say along with the Apostle Paul, I have fought the good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. And I am determined above all things, I'm going to finish well. Now this morning, I believe that by examining the life of the Apostle Paul, we can identify the very principles that help Paul live his life in such a way that at the close of his life, he could say with a calm assurance that he was finishing well and that God was well pleased with his life. I want you to consider with me this morning, first of all, Paul's spiritual transformation. You see, if we're going to conclude and end up at the end of our life, and we're going to do so and finish it well, then there needs to be a proper, and starting, a proper starting point. 
And that being in Acts chapter 9, it records the Apostle Paul's encounter and conversion to Christ on what is called the Damascus Road. Now, prior to the Damascus Road encounter and transformation, Saul was like many of us. He was religious, but he had no relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, you'll hear me say Saul, and you'll hear me use the name Paul. They're one and the same individuals. When I say Saul, that is using the Hebrew, the Jewish name that he was given. And if I say Paul, that is a Greek or Latin name. It was his Roman name that would be given to him. So Saul and Paul are one and the same. He had religion, he had rules, he had regulations, he had rituals, but he lacked relationship. Now Saul was convinced that he was honoring God by persecuting the followers of Jesus Christ. He found great pleasure in arresting Christians and having them tried in Jerusalem as heretics. Matter of fact, in Acts chapter 7, it records there Saul's consent to Stephen's death and how he even guarded the coats of the men that were stoning him so that they might have more freedom in their arm to cast the stones. Saul's mission, his mission up to that moment was to wipe out in any way he could Christianity. Listen to what it's written here in Acts chapter 9, verses 1 to 9. It says, meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. I think that says it all. He was breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that he, if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. So you can see the mission he's on. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you'll be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. He was blind, in other words. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. Now here's what I've discovered, and I'm sure that you've discovered as well. Hard heads require hard measures. And I've discovered that God has a stick big enough for every hard head. Amen? You can either do it the easy way or the hard way, like they say. And Saul was fixed on doing it the hard way. And so God literally knocked him to the ground. And he was three days without his sight. You know, sometimes God has to knock us flat on our back in order to get our attention. And he did so with Saul that day. Now, I want you to listen to his transformation. The Bible says that he went into the city of Damascus and there was a man there by the name of Ananias that had been commissioned by the Lord to lay hands on him. When he laid hands upon him, he received his sight. The Bible said it was like scales fell off his eyes and he could see once again. He was filled with the Holy Spirit 
and was immediately baptized in water. Speaking of baptism in water, last Sunday night down in Lake Michigan, what a grand time we had. 51 individuals stood there and, uh, and confessed Christ as their Lord and Savior, went into the water and was baptized. And even the boats out on Lake Michigan began to come in and they began to take an anchor out so they could see what was going on. And people on the beach began to come over and listen to the testimonies and hear and even join in with some of the songs that were being sung. It was a great time. So you can see the transformation that happened in his life. He received his sight, filled with the Holy Spirit, and then was baptized in water according to the scriptures. Now in Acts chapter 9 and verse 20, here's what it says. Here's how he responded after having received his sight and what God had done in his life, the transformation. It says that once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. Up to this time, he fought anyone, and he was vehement that Jesus was an imposter and not the Son of God. Now after his transformation on the road to Damascus, at once he began or immediately began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. Now listen to the response of the crowd. All those that heard him were astonished and asked, isn't he the man that raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on his name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? We know his mission. And how is his mission so changed that once he was coming to arrest Christians, take them back, have them tried as heretics, and now he's preaching that Jesus is the Son of God. You know, all life long, I discover in Scripture that Paul never forgot his Damascus Road encounter with Christ. You know, the Bible's so filled with time after time when he would be sharing his faith with others, Paul almost always referenced what happened to him on the Damascus Road. You know, there's an old saying that says, the power is in the telling. And every time you tell your testimony, every time you do so, it stirs it up and makes it alive and real inside of you each and every time you do so. And so every time we find Paul or Saul sharing the love of God with others, he would go all the way back and say, let me tell you what happened to me. I was once a persecutor of the church. I was once that used the Lord's name in vain. I was once that gave every moment of my time to try to stop this Jesus thing. But then one day on my way to Damascus, I fell to the ground under this great light and I heard the voice from heaven say, Saul, 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 why are you persecuting me? He always repeated it over and over every time he shared the gospel. He never forgot the day that God had intervened into his life. You see, friends, everything in the natural world has a starting point, and so it is in the spirit. If you can go into the natural world, the Bible says in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1 that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. There was a starting point for the heavens and for the earth itself. And then the Bible tells us that God was the one that started all plant life. And how God was the one that put the stars in the sky and the moon and the sun. There was a starting point for all of these things in creation, including Adam. Before that, there was no man on the earth. There was none. 
But God created him from the dust of the ground, put the breath of life within him, and the Bible says he became a living soul. So all things have a point of beginning. From that moment when the egg was fertilized in your mother's womb, you became life. And from that moment on, you have been on a process, you're on a journey. And this journey is one that we want to conclude and finish and finish well. So everything in the natural world, including the spiritual world, has a starting point. Now if you want to finish well, you need a clearly defined starting point. How would you know if you finished if you don't know where you started? Look at John chapter 1, verses 10 through 13. It says, he, that is Jesus, was in the world, and the world was made by him. So he was there at creation. And the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. That was the Jewish people. But as many as received him, notice that, received him. When you read that word there, in the Greek, it is referring to a specific moment in time. It is something that happens in time and in space, and so it's a time and a place. But as many as received him, let's read it that way, but as many as received him at a specific time, at a specific place, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Now, friends, there's no assurance like the assurance of knowing the time and the place that you gave your life to Jesus Christ. For the Apostle Paul, the time and the place was on the road to Damascus. For Peter, James, and John, it was at the Sea of Galilee when Jesus said, leave your nets Leave your boats, come and follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. For Matthew, the tax collector, he was at his tax collecting booth. And it was there that Jesus came along and called him to be one of his followers. So you find all throughout the scripture, there is a time and there is a place. And that moment on is where they mark that they are now followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. When I think back on my life, I'm so grateful for the time and the place. If I were to take you back, I could take you back to the Sisseton Gospel Tabernacle. In that tabernacle, I could show you the spot right down to the right of the pastor on that altar where I gave my life to Jesus Christ. Many years after the fact, I took my own children back there and I said, I want you to see the place where I gave my life to Christ. And I told them about the time and the place. I could show them that's where I gave my life to Christ. I could take and show them the place where I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit on a Sunday night, on the fourth row back in the second pew or the second row in. It was a marvelous time, and I'll never forget that. I'll never forget all of these events, the time or the place, like Paul, like Peter, James, or John, or any of the others you read about in Scripture. There's a time and a place where this transformation takes place. And friend, I would just say to you this morning, if you don't have a time or a place to refer to this morning, at a point where you can say, this is where my new life in Christ began, I'm going to give you that opportunity in just a few moments, that you might leave here today saying, I know the time, 
I know the day, I know the place where I committed my life to Jesus Christ. And if you've committed your life to Christ and you're not quite certain about the when, the where, I'm going to give you that opportunity today that you can drive a stake in the ground. And like Paul, you can say, it was not the Damascus Road, but it was at Discover Church on July the 30th, 2023, at 12 noon, that God changed my life forever. And that's my prayer for each and every one of you. So if you want to end well and finish well, you have to know where you start from. How would you know that you're at the end if you don't know where you started from? And so we want to know that. Secondly, we'll discover that Paul had a new purpose for living. While still on the dust of the ground, Damascus, Paul instinctively knew that his life from that moment on was under brand new management. What he once lived was no longer compatible with the new life he had now received in Christ. Look at verse 6 of Acts 9. It says, trembling and astonished. Have you ever been in the presence of God where you literally trembled and you're astonished? A a moment whereby you sense the presence of God so real and so moving on your life that your physical body began to literally tremble and you're astonished. And that's what happened to Paul. Trembling and astonished, he said, Lord, What will you have me to do? The Lord said to him, rise up, go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. You know, what I've discovered in Scripture, and I've discovered in my own life, that often God, he gives us steps, and these steps are very logical and sequential. He said, if you want to experience the more that I have for you, I want you to rise up. Secondly, I want you to go into the city, the city of Damascus, and it will be told you there what you must do. Now, on the way into Damascus, God spoke in a vision to a man by the name of Ananias, telling him, there's a man that's coming, his name is Saul, I want you to lay hands upon him that he might receive his sight. At receiving that information, Ananias said, not on your life. I've heard all about this man called Saul. Let's look at it. Verse 13. Lord, Ananias said, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. I've heard how he's even caused others to be put to death because of their faith in Christ. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all that call on your name. How is it, Lord, you want me to go lay hands on this guy? I don't like him. I don't like what he does. And I want no part of this. Let me ask you a question this morning. Have you ever avoided sharing the gospel with somebody because of what they had been and what they had done? Have you ever despised them to the point where you've said, I'm not going to waste my words with such an individual? That's the way Ananias felt at the beginning. And Ananias saw him as a murderer. He saw one that was causing havoc. But do you notice what the Lord said there? He said, I have, I've called him. I've, I've got my hand upon him. I've heard many things, he said, but I'm going to show you what God's got him in store. Verse 15, but the Lord said to Ananias, I know you've got your reservations, but here's what I want you to do. And it's only one word that he gives them. What is that one word? 
go. I want you to say it, everyone together in this room, one word and all of his arguments and everything else, and the Lord simply says to him, what? And this man, you see him as a murderer, you see him as a havoc causer, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. Friends, Saul, or Paul, was saved from something for something. He was saved from something, his whole life and all all the mess he was creating, from something for something. Friends, we too have been saved from something for something. God has a new purpose and plan for your life. At the moment you give your life to Christ, he's got a brand new plan. And he wants to cause the plan and the purpose to be fulfilled through your life so that you too can end your life up by saying, I have finished the course. I have finished what God has given me to do in this life and in this world. You know, friends, there's an incredible piece of knowing your purpose, knowing what God has in store and what he's called you to do. And if you want to finish well, you need to know your God-given mission. Let me ask you today, what is your mission? Has your mission changed at all since giving your life to Christ? Saul could have gone on and done the same old thing he had always done. But he knew that his new life was not compatible with his old way of living. And there's a moment whereby we too, like like Saul, must say, Lord, what do you want me to do? What is your plan? And God sequentially began to lay it out for him and showed even Ananias that he had a call on his life and a plan for him. If you want to finish well, you need to have a transformation and you must know your God-given mission. Now thirdly, if we want to finish well, we need to do like Paul did and he stayed the course. Look at verse seven. I have fought the good fight. I've stayed on course. There it is. I've stayed on course and finished the race and through it all I've kept believing. You know, Philippians chapter 3, verses 13, 14 says this. Brethren, I do not count myself to attain. These are the words of Paul. He is saying, I have not reached a point of perfection in my life. I have not attained everything I want to attain. But this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, all of my failure, all of my sin, all of the confusion, all the havoc I've chained that I've caused, I forget those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press towards the goal, this goal that Jesus has for my life, to the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Now once again, in this portion of scripture, Paul uses another sporting analogy. This time, it's like a well-disciplined athlete. Paul says, I have stayed the course. I've stayed on the track. I don't waste my time with the enticements of the world. I'm on a mission. I'm on a mission for God. Now, friends, many Christians go through life, and I would say they go through life like a dog, roaming through a park. They're everywhere. They're sniffing. They're snooping. They're chasing rabbits. They're chasing after squirrels. They're anywhere and everywhere but on the path. 
Paul could not be distracted. He could not be distracted by the promise of wealth or the threat of hardships. He would not be turned aside. Paul endured. Think of what he endured for the cause of Christ. Shipwrecks on three occasions. He was beaten and left for dead. Stoned and left for dead. He was imprisoned, yet through it all, he stayed the course. Paul instructed young Timothy, Timothy, if you want to finish well, you have to endure hardships. You need to stay on the course. You need to stay true to the path. All too often I hear of discouraged believers. And they talk about throwing in the towel. I'm just not cut out for this. This is too hard. If God really cared and if serving God was, you know, you know, easy, then I would stick with it. But and this is just too hard. Friends, the Christian life is not always easy. But to those who persevere, the rewards are out of this world. Amen? They're out of this world. I want you to see how Paul finished his course. One more time, back to 2 Timothy 4, verses 7 and 8. He said, I fought the good fight. It is the analogy of one that would be in the boxing ring. I fought against demons. I fought against those that, that wanted to keep the gospel out of their communities. I have fought, you know, in so many realms of life. I fought the good fight. I've given it my best. I finished the race. I finished. I've, I've crossed over the finish line of what God has laid out for me. I have kept the faith. Now, therefore, there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but to all who have longed for his appearing. There are four, or rather five crowns the Bible talks about. He says, this crown, this crown of righteousness is mine. And I know the righteous judge is going to give it to me in that hour. He won the race. He ran it, and he ran it, and he completed. I was thinking back and looking for, you know, some of the illustrations out of marathon races. And I came across this one. The 2002 New York City Marathon was a race, they say, a race of contrast. Roger Rupp was from Kenya. Roger, he ran 26.2 miles in two hours and eight seconds. It was a phenomenal race. Whereas in the same race, in the same city, was Lloyd Scott. Lloyd Scott was from Great Britain. He was from London. He ran the same race that Rob had run in two hours and eight seconds. He ran it in 121 hours. What's the difference? Lloyd Scott, he ran the race wearing a 130-pound antique diving suit in an attempt to raise money for the Leukemia Fund. Both finished the race. You might say, well, I can't finish the race with, with the weight that I've got to carry. Pastor, you don't know what I've gone through. You don't know what my family says. You don't know what's going on in my job. You don't know what's happening in my mind. And you just don't know. You might be traveling with a heavy load this morning. But just like in that marathon race, they both completed the race. Quitters never win, and winners never quit. Say it again. Quitters never win, winners never quit. 
A couple of weeks ago, my grandson Luke, four years old, said, Grandpa, can we play a game tonight? I said, sure, we're happy to. I said, what game do you want to play? And I took him to all the games in the store, and he said, Candyland, that's the one I want to play. I hate Candyland. <laughs> and so we set up the table, and we played the first round, and I won the first round. So we start the second round, and now Luke looks, and he sees that I'm probably, you know, 10 spots ahead of him, you know, uh, on the board. And he takes his cards, and he throws them down. He says, I quit. I want to win. And what he was saying was, if I can't win, then I don't want to play. I said, well, honey, I said, you know, you'll never know if you'll win or not. You, if you stay in the game, you just might win. And so I convinced him to come back. Now we're playing the game, and he gets a couple of lucky cards, and I'm not sure whether it was all legit or not, but he got a couple of lucky cards. <laughs> and he won. And he said, you're right, Grandpa. If I would have quit, I would have never won. Then he marches down, tells his sisters, I just won Grandpa. He won one, but so did I. Quitters never win, and winners never quit. The Apostle Paul wasn't a quitter. He stayed the course, he endured all hardships, and he finished, and he finished well. I want to finish, and I want you to finish in such a way that when we stand before the Lord, he says, well done. You finished the race. The race that I set before you. You see, each and every one of us, he set a, a plan into our heart, into our minds. And he called us to run a race that he has set before us. And like Paul, not to quit, not to stop, to endure until we finish and finish well. Paul experienced a brand new beginning a brand new purpose for living. He stayed the course and he finished his race and a crown of righteousness was awarded to him. This morning, some of you may be in this room and you're saying, you know, pastor, about this whole business of having a starting point. You know, I've always known about God and I was raised in a family that loved God and I've just... I have no time or place where I can ever remember where I had that kind of an encounter. And that encounter was one where I just know that I know that that was the point, that was the time, that was the place where I gave my life to Christ. And because of that, maybe the enemy has been playing games with your mind at time, trying to convince you that maybe you really have not made that transition, that you have not given your life to Christ. But I believe today God wants you to have that assurance and that kind of a place. And so in just a couple of minutes, what I'm going to do is I'm going to invite you. You've said, yes, I've given my life to Christ. But what I need is a time and a place. And I'm going to give you a time and a place. I want you to mark right where you're at and say, this is the day, this is the moment from no second guessing on where I committed my life to Christ. Others of you may be serving God. And you gave your life to Christ. 
but you've not asked him, Lord, what would you have me to do? And we're just doing what we've always done. And life and time will consume your everything. It'll consume you trying to make a living, you know, just trying to have some moments of restoration and refreshing. He'll, he'll take all your time, all your energy, and he'll eat it up in areas that mean nothing when it's all said and done. Lord, what would you have me to do is what he said from the dust of the ground. And it's interesting, the very first thing the Lord said, okay, here's the sequence. You want to get into the game? You got to get up, arise. Then I want you to go in. Go into town, go into Damascus. And the rest of the plan will be played out from there. But there was a starting point. I pray that you'll have one of those starting points in just a moment. If you're wondering, why did God create me? What is he going to expect when I stand before him? Have I fulfilled his calling? Have I even asked him what his calling is for my life? If that's you today, I want you to be able to walk out of here and know that you have both been transformed and that you have been commissioned for such a time as this. As they begin to sing this song, I would love to have an opportunity to pray with you. You want them to know a time and a place? Here's your time. Here's your place. And if you want to say, Lord, I need you to reveal to me. I don't want, I don't want to just chase around. I don't want to be like the dog in the park. I want to be like an arrow that's shot from the bow directly to the target of what you've called me to do. If that's you. You come as well. I want to pray for you this morning before we dismiss.